Morning, everybody. Hey, good to see you all. My name is Becky Garner, and I'm one of the teachers for the Tuesday morning women's Bible study here at Hillside. But this morning, <laughs> I have a few fans over there. Um, uh, this morning, I have the privilege to close out our Colossians 3 mini-series that we've been in the last couple of weeks. Hopefully, you picked up a copy of the sermon notes as you came in, uh, because there's a picture of a flag on the first page, and I was wondering if anyone recognizes it. Red Cross, that's right. The Red Cross is an international humanitarian network that was founded in 1863 in Geneva, Switzerland. It was inspired by a Swiss businessman named Henry Dunant. He was motivated to create the organization after witnessing the tremendous lack of medical support following the Battle of Solferino in 1859. Swiss historians estimate that there were more than 20,000 casualties from this brutal 12-hour rifle and bayonet battle. And there were approximately 40,000 injured soldiers from both sides that day, many of whom were left to die on the battlefield. Dunant was so moved by the aftermath of this battle that he proposed the establishment of national relief organizations made up of trained volunteers who could offer neutral and impartial help to relieve suffering in wartime. Today, the Red Cross has chapters worldwide that provide assistance to victims of disasters, armed conflict, and health crises. And the, organi the organization's Red Cross emblem on that white background is globally recognized to signal the presence of volunteers who come in peace to bring relief, aid, and comfort to those who are suffering. Henry Dunant's radical vision to enlist volunteers trained to serve the suffering earned Dunant the first Nobel Peace Prize in 1901. And his idea continues to affect the world in magnanimous ways. But it wasn't really an original idea. God was first to have the idea of a rescue plan for all people suffering with the effects of sin. And God's plan would also be signified by a cross, the cross of his son Jesus, who bled and died for our sins and the sins of the world. God enlists his chosen people who voluntarily and lovingly and sacrificially bring his peace comfort and aid to a suffering world. That's us, church. But unlike the modern day Red Cross workers who put on medical scrubs or volunteer vests with that Red Cross emblem on them, Paul reminds us in Colossians 3 that we've put on the new self and are clothed with the Christ-like virtues of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, and love. Romans 13, 14 says, we are clothed with the Lord 
Jesus Christ. Just as the Red Cross uniform reminds its workers of their mission whenever they put it on, the new self we have put on reminds us that we are part of God's rescue plan for the world. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Jesus commissions us saying, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Throughout Colossians 3, Paul has been reminding us of who we are in Christ, new men and women who have put off our old selves and are now living into our true identity as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. In our passage for today, we move from looking at the qualities of God's people to looking at the qualities of God's community. This is such a timely portion of scripture as we look forward to launching our small groups next week. So listen for the three qualities of Christian community as I read Colossians 3, 15 through 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Well, could you pick out the three qualities of Christian community? Number one, the peace of Christ ruling in verse 15. Number two, the message or the word of Christ dwelling in verse 16. And number three, the name of Christ exalted in verse 17. First, let's talk about how we, as God's people clothed in new self, Christ-like virtues can experience the ruling of Christ's peace in our community here at Hillside. Paul exhorts us in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. As I was thinking about this verse, I wondered, what's my first step in letting the peace of Christ rule in my heart? And since Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians church, I wondered, and I asked my friends, what's our first step as a Jesus community in letting the peace of Christ rule in our hearts? But maybe we should really start by asking, how is it even possible to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts? Let's remember, we didn't actually take the first steps toward peace. God did. Romans 5.8 says that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not only were we sinners, but Paul goes on to say in Romans 5.10 that we were in fact God's enemies who could only be reconciled to God by the death of his son. Paul reminds us in Colossians 2, 13 and 14 that we not only didn't take the first step towards peace, we really couldn't 
take the first step. Because we were dead in our sins until God made us alive with Christ. And through Christ, God forgave all our sins. You see, peace started with God, was accomplished through Jesus' sacrifice, and is a gift of grace by his Spirit. So I want to suggest that our first real step in letting Christ's peace rule in our hearts is to remember, is to remember that we have peace with God. We have peace with the holy God, creator of the universe. How often do we take time to meditate on all that Jesus did to reconcile us to God so that we can say, we have peace with God. Later this morning, we'll actually have the opportunity to remember Jesus and what he did for us on the cross as we take communion together. As we prepare our hearts for communion later, I hope that you remember and that your heart is filled with joy as you remember we have peace with God because of Jesus' sacrifice. This peace that Paul commands us to let rule in our hearts is actually based on and flows out of our peace with God through Jesus. Paul urges believers in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Doesn't that sound very familiar to the list of virtues in Colossians 3 that Stephen preached on a couple weeks ago? How do we maintain the unity of the Spirit? In the bond of peace. This echoes our charge in Colossians 3.15 that says, as members of one body, we're called to peace. At the Last Supper, Jesus comforted his disciples with these words in John 14. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to remembrance all I have said to you. Peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So the peace that Jesus gives his disciples is not a worldly peace, but rather the divine peace of the Son of God delivered supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave his peace to his disciples and he continues to give his peace to us today. This is no ordinary peace. It is an active peace that enables us to truly obey Jesus' command not to have troubled hearts and not to be afraid, despite our circumstances. Philippians 4.7 tells us that God's peace surpasses our understanding and has the power to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. My friends, this is no wimpy peace that Jesus has given us. It is a powerful peace that can govern our emotions and protect 
all of our hearts and minds as we strive to live in harmony with each other. In verse 15, the word rule in Greek was used to describe the director or the arbiter in public games. So this person would make rulings or calls like an umpire would today. So Christ's peace acts as an umpire of our hearts and in our community. One Greek translation reads, let the peace of Christ be the ruling principle in your heart. Bible commentator J.B. Lightfoot said, where there is conflict of motives or desires, the peace of Christ must step in and decide which is to prevail. In verse 15, Paul uses the Greek word irene, is where we get the name Irene, for peace, which means unity and accord. And Paul says every believer is called to this kind of peace. Since we're members of Christ's body, we're called to unity. While my husband, Jeff, and I were on vacation on the East Coast, uh, we had the pleasure of spending time with our dear friends, Brian and Sue. They are a couple from our longtime home group when we lived in Massachusetts. Brian shared this story with us during our vacation, and I asked him if I could share it with you all today, because it is a powerful, real-life example of peace ruling in Christian community and relationships. Our friend Brian is an avid outdoorsman. He takes a group of fathers and sons on a camping expedition every year. On the annual trip before COVID, Brian described a conflict that arose one day when a dad who I'll call Bobby became angry, viscerally angry, according to Brian. Brian had made a plan for an activity at the end of the day aimed to give Bobby's son a sense of success since all the other boys had already experienced success on the trip. But despite Brian's best intentions, Bobby's son did not end the day feeling successful. Unfortunately, Bobby angrily expressed his disapproval of Brian's plan and his disappointment in Brian's leadership in front of all the other dads and sons. Brian told us that after this heated exchange, he went off by himself to consider cutting off his relationship with Bobby. Can you appreciate Brian's honesty for admitting what most of us feel when we've been hurt? We want to avoid further conflict and pain by walking away from the relationship. Can you relate? Brian considered abandoning the remainder of the expedition, and there in the woods, he entertained calling Enterprise to rent a car since he had carpooled and would need a car to make his escape. What Brian actually did was pray, and he called his wise wife, Sue, who suggested maybe he should just wait. While Brian was talking to God in the woods, and he was waiting, Brian was, Bobby came and found Brian, and Bobby apologized to Brian. I interrupted Brian 
at this point in the story to ask him how he felt when he saw this dad who minutes earlier had chewed him out in front of everyone approaching him. I was shocked by what Brian told me next. He said, I felt like peace was coming. What? <laughs> he felt like peace was coming? Can it be that if we're approaching one another with the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts, that God's peace becomes recognizable? Or if we're waiting with God's peace ruling in our hearts, that Christ's peace is tangible and can be experienced with one another. As Brian said those words, I felt like peace was coming. I caught a glimpse of the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, being fleshed out in the context of relationship. Well, when Bobby apologized to Brian, he confessed that his anger was driven by his passionate desire for his son to achieve success on the trip. Maybe you've witnessed this parental passionate desire for a child to succeed on the sports field or in the classroom, or maybe you've had desires like Bobby's for your own children. I know I have. What an amazing picture of the peace of Christ ruling over Bobby's anger and passion so that he could actually bring Christ's peace to Brian. In Matthew 5, 9, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Bobby revealed that he was a son of God when he came as a peacemaker to Brian. Brian said he was thankful he didn't lash out during this tough conversation. Brian also revealed that he was a son of God as well in his restraint but the evidence and the fruit of Christ's ruling didn't end there. The two men agreed in the woods to talk to the boys about what happened at dinner time that evening. Such a great God story, don't you think? Bobby started the conversation around the dinner table by saying, well, boys, you all saw what happened today, and I want to let you know that I went up to Brian and I apologized. After some conversation at the table, including the group's familiar good-humored sarcasm, Brian told the boys, it's not a question of if we'll have conflict in our important relationships, but when. What motivated me to stay in this is how much I love Bobby. There's a really cool epilogue to this story. When the dads and sons gathered to plan their next trip, the boys were asked what they thought was the best part of their last trip. The youngest boy in the group, age 11, said his favorite part was when Brian and Bobby forgave each other. Brian left me with these words to think about as I prepared to preach on the peace of Christ's ruling. He said, the peaceful way, the kingdom way, doesn't always feel like the safest or the most comfortable way. Peace through confession, transparency, 
and honesty, that's hard. What motivated me to stay in this is how much I love Bobby. And isn't that why God stays in it with us? Because he loves us. That's the message of the cross. Brian and Bobby's story is a beautiful example of what happens when Christ's peace rules in our hearts. We reveal who we truly are, sons and daughters of God, bringing his peace with us. But letting Christ's peace rule in conflict isn't the only way that we can bring his peace to one another. We can bring Christ's peace in very practical ways. When my mom died a few years ago, our home group came to her funeral. And even though I can't remember a single word that anyone said, I will never forget how their presence brought me comfort and strength. Recently, my husband Jeff had surgery. And phone calls and cards from our Hillside family really encouraged him and reminded him that folks here care for him and we're praying for his recovery. Now, these examples might not seem like huge, peace-bringing initiatives, but they were very significant to us, and they inspire us to bring Christ's peace to others. So together, in a variety of ways, here at Hillside, we let the peace of Christ rule whenever we bring relief, aid, or comfort to our brothers and sisters. Another powerful way that we bring Christ's peace is with the encouragement from God's word, which leads us to consider the second quality of Christian community in Colossians 3.16, the message of Christ dwelling among us. Our life as new women and new men in Christ is evidenced by the word of Christ taking up residence in our community. Or to put it another way, as a community of God's beloved people, the message of Jesus has the run of the house. Paul isn't exhorting us just to hear the word and to have a minor acquaintance with it. He urges us to have the word inhabit our relationships richly. The word shouldn't be a stranger to us or an infrequent visitor in our midst. The word should be so at home in us that it lives in our community lavishly and extravagantly and deeply, so much so that it actually overflows as wisdom as we teach and admonish one another. Notice that the wisdom Paul describes is given through mutual teaching. Teaching's not just reserved for ordained ministers or those with seminary degrees or someone with the gift of teaching. So no believer is off the hook when it comes to teaching the word of God to someone else. Charles Spurgeon said in a sermon on this passage, therefore, beloved, be much with your Bibles and let your Bibles be much with you for your own profit and for the profit of others and for the glory of God so be it for Christ's sake. Amen. This means that how richly the word of Christ dwells among us depends on how richly his word dwells in each of us. 
So whenever you study God's word, whenever you memorize scripture, whenever you devote yourself to applying God's word in your life, all of us in the body benefit. And as the word dwells in us richly, we'll not only teach one another God's truth, but Paul says we will also admonish one another in wisdom. He wrote in 2 Timothy 3.16, All scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. As As God's word dwells in our community, the word is the means by which we can wisely warn, caution, and give course correction to one another. The word of Christ not only overflows into our community as wisdom in teaching and admonishment, it also overflows as worship, just like it did this morning, through the singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. After all, the good news of Jesus is something to sing about, isn't it? Just like the words we sang this morning, hallelujah, we will sing out, hallelujah, We will cry out, shout it, go on and scream it from the mountains, go on and tell it to the masses. He is God. Hillside, God is calling us to a deepening community life where Christ's word dwells so richly among us that Jesus' message will be something we won't be able to keep to ourselves. We'll be excited to share with our small groups what we've discovered while reading our Bibles and studying the Gospel of Luke this fall. Scripture will be a natural part of our conversations and we'll relish even more the times that we can celebrate God's truth as we sing and worship together. Finally, let's look at the third quality of Christian community. In Colossians 3.17, I'm calling this quality the name of Jesus exalted because ultimately our community is being called to lift up, to extol, to magnify Jesus Christ through our words and our actions. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What does it mean for us to do everything in Jesus' name? First, it means that whatever we say or do reveals that we belong to Jesus. Doing everything in Jesus' name means that we strive to be a community where everything we say and do can be traced right back to Jesus through magnificent, grace-filled, radiant ways so that he gets the credit and he gets all the glory. Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, we are to let our light shine before others so that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. This is Hillside's vision to be this kind of light in the world. Second, speaking and acting in the name of the Lord Jesus means that we're commissioned by him to act under his authority. Now, we touched on the Great Commission earlier, but I want to highlight how Jesus frames our commission 
First, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. As we remember that we act and speak under Jesus' authority, we're setting our hearts and minds on his will, not ours, and building his kingdom, not ours, and by making his disciples. And we can't forget that Jesus promises us after commissioning his disciples. He said, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Remembering that Jesus promised that he'd be with us always should give us courage to carry out our mission of speaking and acting in his name. So Hillside, as we face new situations and challenging circumstances together, let's remember that the very presence of Jesus is with us and in us. And let's take every opportunity to make him known through what we say and what we do. I want to close by highlighting a bonus fourth community quality that permeates and punctuates each of the three community qualities that we've already looked at. It's the quality of gratitude. Not only are we to do everything in the name of Jesus, we're to give thanks to God through him in the process. When we remember and savor the truth that we have peace with God through Christ, gratitude happens, and we're inspired to live out of grateful hearts for all that Jesus did for us. So Paul's exhortation at the end of verse 15, and be thankful, it's not an add-on to peace. Gratitude naturally flows out as peace rules in our hearts. And as the message of Christ dwells in us richly, our community will not just be known for wise teaching, admonishing, and singing out God's truth, but also as a Christ community filled with gracious people whose hearts are full of gratitude to God. So my friends, Hillside Covenant Church, God's holy beloved people who have put on the Lord Jesus Christ, listen to our marching orders from Colossians 3. Let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, since as members of one body, we're called to peace, and let's be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell among us richly as we teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in our hearts. And whatever we do, whether in word or deed, let's do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen.